0: Hey everybody, welcome back to TKD Coach Academy. This episode is taken from a visual episode on YouTube, but I'm sure even though it's not the visual episode, you will still take a lot of value from this audio version. But if you are interested in seeing the visuals that go with this, check us out on YouTube, TKD Coach Academy.
1: Hey everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Fight Chat Friday with TKD Coach Academy. Today we're going to talk about five things that we and many other black belts and instructors wish we knew when we were a beginner. And applying these kind of principles is going to really let you 10x your training and get to a proficient level of spying way, way, way quicker.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Fight Chat Friday. So, this week, as Adrian alluded to already, we're going to almost give us some tips for the, the beginners and the color belts. Yeah. Usually, we break down some high-level stuff, and of course, everybody can take from that, but we're going to really focus towards the beginner and the, the people who are just kind of getting into their training. Um, what, what kind of inspired this is myself. I've started a new martial art as a white belt, mm-hmm. and I find myself Googling a lot of things like this. So I said, obviously, for Taekwondo, a lot of people are in the same boat as well, so let's see can we help people out and give them some tips to help them speed up their progress
1: yeah and i mean i can add to that as well by saying that you know my sparring as such yeah i started obviously as a white belt like everybody else but there was a big hiatus for me where i didn't get to spar competitively really between the ages of about 15 and 17 or 18 so it was almost like um I was sparring in a bubble up until that point in time, we only entered certain competitions and mm. you know all of that kind of thing. And then we jumped into the big wider ITF world as I kind of went into like college and into adulthood. And from about 19 on in particular, it was like, oh, everything that I thought I knew before is completely irrelevant now and it doesn't matter. And I need to relearn the whole game from the beginning. So yeah. this is the kind of like, I'd, I'd have liked to be able to take some of these as a shortcut maybe, you know, at the beginning. Mm. So yeah, that, that's and mine. I think-
0: it's not one that we have included today, but the fact that you mentioned there, compete, I think that that's going to improve, yeah. make your progress improve much quicker as well because people who compete, they will naturally just get better because of putting themselves out there and learning much quicker than people who don't. Absolutely. 100%
1: true. So the very first point that we we're going to make is just it's a, it's a mindset and a mentality thing. Uh, but the very first thing to consider is that if you're new to Tic wonder you probably assume that the color belt directly impacts everything, including how good you are or where your skill set is at when it comes to sparring. And it just doesn't always hold true. So Mm -hmm. first, remove the idea from your head that you don't want to spar people who have a higher grade than you uh, on the basis that they're going to automatically beat you, they're automatically going to be better. And we just pulled together a few little clips so that people can kind of get the
0: impression of it that skills not entirely linked to the color of your belts. And this is something I hear from my students a lot of time. younger kids at tournaments. It's like, oh, no, I'm with the green belts this time. I'm only a yellow belt. But you can see that the belt cutter doesn't really make a difference. If, if you have a good level yourself and you're training hard and you're, you're starting to learn the principles of sparring and how to maximize on those, it doesn't really matter what belt you have because at, at the end of the day, you, you, you get your belts for training time, of course, yes, but as well, it's a, a lot different in terms of competitive sparring and the martial arts side which they don't really correlate in terms of belts and the sports side
1: yeah exactly and i mean often what it comes down to is that uh you know within Taekwondo, someone who has a higher belt knows more skills but most of the time those skills have only been tested up onto the point of look yeah. and i think we're live again so what happened there was my lovely daughter decided to pull the router out of the wall downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, lovely. yeah, so uh, she got uns- unsupervised for like all of three seconds, the usual kind of thing, and uh, the router got pulled off the wall. So uh, I think we're we're back and solid again I now. We're back. We're back. So, yeah, apologies, folks. That was...
0: Uh, First of problems.
1: Yeah, that was Lucy, who's adorable and very cute and all the rest of it, but has uh, definitely caused us a, <laughs> a bit of a headache here. But... <laughs> We were actually just talking about how uh what what it can be for uh for beginners if your fundamentals are good and you focus on doing what you do well that can be enough to put you on par with someone who's you know at a higher belt level and again we were just kind of catching a couple of examples of that and i'll skip through a few of them and uh uh, we can see you know really good distance good timing and movements and you know one or two simple techniques applied well and it really does let you level the playing field quite a bit.
0: Yeah, and if you have an understanding of those, like you you mentioned, then understand like hardly.
1: Sorry, folks, I'm not downstairs. So I think I think my daughter is now under lock and key, uh, or removed from the room, or something. So hopefully we're good from here on in. What were What were we'll you? Have to
0: finishing? Get her um, a phone to tune in and watch. Yeah, exactly.
1: I'll get her in a... I have to get one of those play pens and just, like, uh, sit her in it for the, for the broadcast.
0: <laughs> um, the joys of life.
1: Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. I'll have to I'll have to look into it, and hopefully it's just a, a case of little hands doing things they shouldn't be doing. Um, okay. We'll see how we go. So we were talking about, first of all, the issue of belts. Second thing we were going to look at is, I know everybody is tempted to do it at a beginner stage, but blocking.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I think that this mindset, one of my students only said this to me two nights ago. He was saying, um, how come that we're doing these blocks in our patterns and then we're not blocking in our sparring? And it's a great question, especially from a young kid who like trying to explain the difference. There is no correlation between patterns and sparring, although people might think there, there is a link there. Ideally, there's a sport and there's a martial arts side. Of course, you can compete in patterns in sport but you don't need to be blocking in your sparring. And the reason yeah. is is that it sets you a step behind. So if you block, you're a step behind all the time. So ideally, you want to use your footwork, your movement and avoiding skills to not get hit rather than blocking because you're a step behind. You can't do two things at one time. You can't, you can't block and then be ahead of the game as such. And I think we have a couple of examples why it's not the best idea to block, but it is something that we definitely see from beginners and people who are just learning in itf so if you can avoid this one it will set you up and it's kind of linked to another one that we have lined up for today as well so once you see what we have lined up it will link and uh, we can put that together
1: for sure and i mean i suppose that the first problem with blocking is you're committing yourself to stay in place and we've kind of taken this one as a you know forearm guarding block starting position usually something that we don't want to see it's not a great idea to be that static
0: Mm mm-hmm
1: but the point of the shots that are the uh, the ones that we're showing just here is none of these shots are actually possible if you take the time to stop and block. So the exactly. reason that there's actually an advantage while the countering, you can see sometimes there's a little bit of an assist or a cover hand on the way in. Yeah. But it's because you're blending with your opponent's technique. So they're coming forward and you're meeting them in the middle. You're going high while they're going low. You're going round while they're going straight. And what it does is it allows you to meet them while they're on one leg, while they're off balance, while they're in motion. And then it can be that much more effective.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you can't block and stay there and then be ready for the next action because they're already after starting their next action. The sport is too quick for that. Mm. So it's very important that you realize if you're blocking that maybe you can do one arm to close the distance um, as you maybe like parry or block down with one hand and, and shoot a technique of your own for example for example countering a side kick you might carry it down with your front hand and come in with the back hand that's perfectly fine but when you just stop hold static and just block and stay there then that's not going to work in our sport and you're going to you're going to realize that pretty quick so the faster you can get out of that habit the better you try to use your footwork
1: and you can use that almost as like as a mental cue. So it's giving you feedback on your own sparring, even if the coach hasn't done it. So if you've had, if you found yourself having to block because you were just in the wrong place when the technique arrived, it's usually a good sign that, oh, my movement wasn't good. I was too static. Yeah. I was predictable. There was something gone wrong that I was stuck there. So, you know, it's we kind of have, stitch thing, isn't yeah, it? in order of priority, it's like, well, if you can counter directly, great. If you can move and avoid, okay, well, that's not too bad if you're standing there and getting blocked and blocking, usually what happens next is the next thing they throw hits you. So, yeah. the block is only like a temporary reprieve. It's the like that little bit where you're at the edge of the cliff and waving your arms before you go off. It's, you know, it hasn't stopped yeah. everything from happening. It's just a little bit of a pause before the bad stuff gets to you,
0: you know? Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. It's a timing thing as well, isn't it? It's like, if you block, you're, you're just behind on the timing and that's why that happens. It's like you give the, the other person the control of like almost the tempo of the match and uh, they're almost a step ahead.
1: And Mike is just pointing out when you're new to sparring, blocking was part of the fear factor, but after a good few hits, blocks didn't work. And it's it's true Like it, because overall, when you're new to sparring, you are tense. When you're tense, you're less mm-hmm. likely to be moving appropriately on your feet. And so you get caught, you get caught on the spot. Um, and you are, you know, you, you borrow that phrase, you're a sitting duck. So once you've once you've been caught flat footed, you're in a lot of trouble. And so that's kind of another reason, again, that we wouldn't encourage uh, the blocking. So mm. moving from there, if we talk about the, uh, the footwork, so footwork is what lets you not be stuck there when the blocking or time for blocking comes about.
0: Definitely. And the thing about the footwork is it's not about having all these fancy steps and spinning techniques and all this. Probably it's about chosen. how can you – we will, for sure. But it's about how can you move balanced. So can you – like we talk about entries and exits. How do you enter into contact Into contact, and how do you exit out of the contact? And then doing so balanced just has a massive benefit for you. So if you can carry your feet underneath you and have a 50-50 balance – most of the time, you're going to be in a great position to avoid, to move, to throw, um, and it just it just gives you a massive advantage.
1: Yeah, and I mean, with the type of exercises that Silvek is demonstrating here in Edith's class, it's, I think that one was in uh, in Tampere, in Finland. You know, we're talking about agility, balance, recovery more so than you know the training of the skill. So obviously, that comes into it to some degree. It's not really representative of exactly how it's going to happen in a, in a fight. And you saw rhythmic ones where he goes back five and six in a row. But that's forcing exactly what you said, the footwork, the recovery, the balance, the posture all has to be right when that's happening. So that's a, a lovely sport specific way to develop your agility, your balance, your coordination, your 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 recovery.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the biggest things I see for beginners is the foot to foot movement. And they almost like we call it in, in my classes, like moving like a horse where it's like foot to foot. And so we, we try to avoid that as best as possible because there's a big tell there. And if you do that consistently, then, like we mentioned earlier with the blocking, you're giving your opponent that opportunity to have a step ahead of you, and we sure. don't want that.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, the, the the bit that we're going to show in the next few clips after this is kind of that progression from it's a you know it's it, it's a drill that's focused on repetition of the movement and learning the movement pattern, adding that you know agility, balance, uh, coordination, and just explosiveness to it but then progressing through to make it more and more representative of the real spar. And the first thing we said was like, okay, well, one of the things you can do that isn't in our list is compete. Obviously, one of the things that you're going to need to do is spar or train sparring in in the club and in the classes. But it should move towards being more representative. Uh, And we're still not there yet with this particular one. This is very much still coach-led. But as you get to this stage, now you can see it's not premeditated. It's not planned and the movement then becomes much better. There will be mistakes, there will be errors, but it becomes far more transferable because of that.
0: Yeah, and and like the Alamin here is doing a great job of moving. He's consistently on balance, which is the important thing. Mm. But all the looks at the guys here, all these guys, world champions, are giving him different looks. And you need to be experienced of getting those different looks and seeing how different people act in different ways. Then you start to pick up on ways to move effectively according to that.
1: Yeah. I mean, as you said, just at the end of that clip there, you have uh, Alamine in there and the people that he's working off of are people of the calibre of Adam Shelley, Colin Carroll, uh, Colin Adolphs, and I think Thomas Fogarty was in there Ryan at the beginning Shelley as that, well. Or Ryan Shelley. So you, you've, you've got guys who are all world champions, world silver medalists and so on. They're all at the one level and they're able to push each other to a particular degree, you know, and that's mm-hmm. really useful. But we also have just, you know, this as a, a, as a concept of you actually do need different types of training partners to really fully develop so do you want to explain richie what we mean by that particular one
0: yeah so when i was thinking of this one again it just kind of reverts back to my own experience now starting jiu-jitsu as a white belt so when i'm rolling with people who are high level for example rolling with my coach who is a brown belt pushing black it's just the the gap there in skill and experience is massive so for me to be able to, to pull off things, the timing is different. He's able to read things much quicker. Um, so it's very difficult for me to improve if I stay in that scenario. But the beauty of that is that if we have a little discussion afterwards, you start to pick up things really quickly. Um, so if you can work with people who are a higher level than you and you can have discussions about how things went and what you're seeing, what you're experiencing, you will learn massively okay and you'll progress at a really good level so that's one type of training partner that's necessary then if we have another training partner who you're kind of at the same level as that's fantastic because you can push each other you learn things you'll say okay this is working this is not working and you can adjust and Mm. then you can have people as well who maybe you're just that step above um, and where you can try things Where you won't get, there's not a big consequence if things go wrong compared to somebody at the same level, and of course somebody who's at a much higher level than you. So, ideally, when you're starting, you should be looking to get a mix of these three sparring partners, and not even when you start, always really. Mm. And so, the people that you you work with are going to push you on, and so you don't want to just be staying with the. If you want to improve, work with people who are a slightly lower level and try things, and then you progressively add resistance up to that top level where you need to be competing with people that are the same level and then of course the the ultimate level of where you want to be
1: yeah and i mean just a quick recap on the the thinking behind that as well is if you're a beginner complete beginner well most beginners have a beginner mindset and they don't expect anything when they go to spar they expect everybody Mm. to be better than them so it doesn't hurt your ego or your you know your 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 feelings when you're not getting the successes that you might like to but then you get to yeah. a point where you've learned a little bit and then you get we often see it with like the the green blue belts where they try to win every training and you can't win anything at training so training is training and it's very important that when we understand what we're doing when we spar at training we are still being cooperative to some degree like we want mm-hmm. to adjust the difficulty or the challenge or their resistance to make it beneficial to both. So, as you said, if you're aspiring someone who's better than you, you can't expect to do well. But you might set yourself an achievable challenge, or you might look for what am I learning from what's the other person seeing? I can I can pull on their experience at the same level. Mm-hmm. Right now, we can test something under pressure. We can see is it working the way I want it to work? You know, we can have an equal opportunity for success. And when when you say that, like when you're training with someone who's not quite as good as you, you can challenge yourself to do something you're not as comfortable with experience a little bit more success but also you're helping that other person because they're getting an easier read they're getting something that they can more easily interact with so you're actually helping everybody under each circumstance and i think that's like that's really really important to do and to get into that mindset straight away that training is training it's about getting better sparring is about putting points on the board and finishing with more than your opponent you know and and they're quite different
0: Definitely. And and like some, some people don't have the luxury of having multiple training partners. Mm. So maybe you have only somebody to work with who is much lower level than you. And that's a good way that you can train with that person and both of you can still progress. Whereas like you said, where you, you, you work on something specifically where you're not at your, your peak. while the, the person who's at that lower level also has an opportunity to to compete.
1: And that brings us to the fact that we haven't mentioned any techniques just yet. So one of the things that, you know, it, we put this out on social media and the the answers came back. But, you know, again, it's just how much you can do if you've got a good basic sidekick to fall back on, particularly with the way the game is right now. Now, it's not saying that you have to have a very good sidekick to be successful in sparring or that sparring is all built off of a good sidekick. But if you have a solid foundation on your sidekick, it's going to give you an awful lot of play.
0: Yeah, for sure. And like the the biggest thing about that is it's not just the technique to score. There's m- m- many, many parts of this. And i just pull this clip here because yeah. uh, beginners, you see a lot of time, they're very full facing and it's very hard to have a good sidekick if you're completely full facing where you're not really side on to get the sidekick off. Um, and then you're struggling to carry into distance like we see here. So there's, there's other ways you can use your sidekick. You can kind of almost use it like a jab in boxing. Whereas if, if you can use that to maintain distance, measure distance, um, it can be a massive tool. And if you, especially if you're somebody who's quite tall, if you can keep your opponent back or if you can use it against an aggressive opponent, the sidekick is a massive tool and not just for scoring.
1: Yeah, exactly that. Not just for scoring. I think that's important. And we can see here in some examples that even using a step in, using drop steps, and it's the same technique. But by varying the rhythms distances you know and even sometimes showing your hand showing your intent in the beginning you know it 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 does let you do different things and and create different opportunities for yourself so it's using that one technique in many creative ways and that gives you opportunities to open up the match and bring it to where you want to be um but again what we see in, in a lot of these exercises here is is really just the idea of there's pros and cons. So we have this nice long psychic there. And when we look at the previous clip, repeating it, you know, if the read is too easy, you know, it gives someone something to do. So learning from the beginning that, yes, we have this technique, but I need to do it at different distances, with different lengths, with different speeds, with different preparation, different footwork. It's a really important lesson to learn early on. Not that you need more techniques, but you need to thoroughly understand how to use the techniques that you have In the different situations that emerge
0: for sure it's just being about um, uh, having that unpredictability about your style not being able to allow your opponent to read what you're going to do like we said earlier with the foot Mm. the footstep in the footwork but i think the biggest thing about the psychic is the if you can understand distance it's so effective so a lot of time you see beginners they use the psychic at a distance that's too far And because they don't have the skills and the physical abilities yet to carry it, like we do see black belts, it it almost gets them in trouble more often than an effective tool. So you can use it effectively to close the distance, get the hands. You can use it to maintain the distance, but it's about using your idea of where, where you and your partner is and that gap between you to kind of manage that is the important thing for people who are beginners. It's not starting too far out and obviously not starting too close. It's just getting that sweet spot.
1: Yeah, and exactly, you know, as you're saying there, the the beginner sidekick sometimes doesn't look like what we'd see, you know, at at the top level. And usually the reasons for that are maybe the kick is a challenging height for the person or they don't have the the hip strength to carry the leg forward while it's keeping the posture up. And what that means is, well, you're leaning more and you're taking different steps to prepare it and because all of that's happening it's actually quite a different you know it's easy for your opponent to see it coming in so you don't get a big return on it so mm-hmm. just those simple things of how do you disguise it how do you uh, how do you apply it what's the right distance for me what are the right circumstances for me and the same technique that we teach at white belts is the same technique that the black belt world champion will use but it's that in name only <laughs> you know in, in terms of the application the of the technique the execution it's a different ball game it's a different ball
0: And I think, actually, that's one of the reasons why we see, especially with color belts, the front hand being so effective. Of course, it's effective as well at the high level. But because people are over committing and using their psychic at a a distance that's not probably correct, then people can almost capitalize if they're clever enough with their own front hand. And we see that in a lot of clips that we kind of were looking through this week to pull some clips together for for this particular video.
1: You know, it's a very, very hard thing to find good video of color bell sparring you know on youtube so uh, if any of our color bells out there want to send us some good video of that we might be able to do a follow-up on this one so our summary then we had five items and uh you know do you want to run us through those Rishin? will
0: yeah so just a quick recap so first off don't block and sparring okay keep a fear patterns try to use your movement and using your footwork which is the second one so if you can almost link those together you'll have a great setup then belt color does not equal skill so that's very important so that's a mindset as adrian alluded to try to get out of this idea okay they're a higher belt they're automatically better doesn't work like that and of course we went through a couple of ideas of how to use your psychic more effectively and if you can do so it's a massive weapon not just for scoring as we mentioned and of course working with three types of partners if possible and that will all of these combined plus other ways as well but these are just five there are good ways for you to improve much, much quicker, particularly in sparring for ITF.
1: Yeah. And sometimes you look at something like this and you think, look, this is too simple. You know, there, there's way more to it than this. And of course there is, but the key to improving quickly is to start with things that are going to make a big impact quickly. So little tweaks to the mindset, focus on a couple of techniques done very, very well and supporting them with your footwork and so forth, training with the right people and with the right uh, approach, that is going to get you way further than learning 20 more complicated drills.
0: Yeah, not just about the techniques, you see. We we barely spoke about any techniques today. That's just that's the, the end game. That's like mm. the, the icing on the top. It's how you get there and how you get those shots off. And people who are watching today, if if these things aren't happening for you right now, it mightn't spark um something that say, ah, oh, that makes sense. But maybe down the line you'll come across a particular problem where one of the things we spoke about today is relevant. And that's where people take things on board. So maybe if the five things we mentioned today aren't relevant to you right now, we do have a free ebook, which is in the description below with 10 other tips of how you can instantly improve your sparring. So it's all about kind of what's relevant to you as you're training. Hmm. So some things might go over your head at certain times. So definitely check that out. Uh, I'm sure there's, there's things there that you can take away that will help your progress.
1: Excellent. And that is all that we have for this Friday. So hopefully you got something out of that. If you know somebody who might get something out of that or you think there's someone in your club who'd benefit, do by all means share the link to this video to them. Uh, Of course, we'll appreciate it, but they may appreciate it too. Uh, And as always, if you manage to get this far, make sure you have liked the video, subscribe and uh by all means share uh share the good word let people know what we're doing um and in particular with something like this where you know that can just help somebody right at the beginning of their journey improve so much and you know uh, it, it should hopefully kind of kickstart them and find some more uh good content along the way to keep keep them improving
0: for sure and if you have any suggestions of other things that you might have a challenge with let us know we'll cover a video on that every friday fight chat friday see you in the next one